0: Today is June 5th, 2021. This is episode 125 of Back to Normal. So let's get started. All right, hello and welcome to another episode. As usual, for the last six or seven weeks, all I've been able to talk about, at least at the beginning of this show, um, since we are, you know, ostensibly a show about getting back to normal, I've talked about a variety of other things over the course of the last... Oh my gosh, I started this in, I think, August of last year, and it's now June. Um, Yeah, I I was just realizing when I got to, like, opening today's show, we're at episode 125, which seems really intense. I know that this was a daily show until December of last year, and now it's weekly, Um, but that, like, 125, that's a nice milestone. I like that, because that's five cubed. Um, Yeah, today we're going to be talking about vaccines what else um yeah last week i spent at least a good five minutes just talking about how much the vaccine rollout has accelerated over the last you know six or seven episodes i actually have a a timeline um yeah it's basically been five weeks since the timeline of vaccinating people really really picked up and just yesterday we got another giant leap forward in the timeline it's basically when when i believe and like it's gonna be hard to piece together a timeline of this but i believe it was like april or even march where um trudeau was saying by september we hope everyone will have at least one dose and we were all like great that's that's ambitious but we can probably do it and i remember thinking it's ambitious we can probably do it but if if the suppliers actually meet deadlines especially pfizer we could probably do it faster than one dose by the end of September. And we are at the point now where we've got about 66. I think last time I heard it was about two thirds of people who are eligible, I believe, again, is this t- statistic. So 12 plus, um, have gotten at least one dose so far, which is amazing. Like that's really, really good. And I think we're approaching kind of the inflection point on our graph of, um, like doses accelerating versus people who are going to get one. Um, So I don't think that that we're just going to keep going skyward. Like this curve until everybody gets one is necessarily going to be S-shaped. But honestly, I think we're doing really well. And yeah, the second doses are just going to start going like clockwork. Um, Yeah. in, In last week's episode, I actually shared a graphic that I guess Ontario, the government of Ontario posted and we were looking at basically every 3 weeks opening up second dose eligibility like second dose um, rescheduling f- um earlier in time um for a new group of people matching the same groups that were in the last rollout and basically shortening the time between um s- s- like first and second doses from f- to less than 16 weeks which was the default when we were booking first doses it actually turned out to be a really great way to um Speed up the timeline because it, it basically uses one system and it's you're just opening up the availability to the second dose earlier. Like, it's this system, this vaccination system was extremely well designed. It doesn't have, um, it didn't, it's not without its problems, but like on the whole, the way that they have decided to set this up was brilliant because it gives everyone a second dose that we they can meet that they were very, very, very confident, like 95% confident that they were going to meet but it also gives the ability to reschedule your appointment at any time and all you have to do is change the eligible for second dose date earlier for certain people and and they're doing it based on the date they got their first which is really nice because there's a really nice thing you can measure um, and make sure people get their doses 21 days apart it's um yeah it's actually kind of beautiful how it works um and so it seems like um Basically, I think it was last week that they said that they're going to start announcing or they had announced 80 plus were eligible to book their second dose earlier, um, pending availability of appointments, which there seemed to be quite a few of. Again, because we're starting to get to the point where um, supply is outstripping demand. And my um, so so the the people in that age group, 70 plus and people who got their vaccine, their first vaccine before April 19th or April 18th. are going to start to be eligible on Monday um through the through the provincial portal. But it also turns out that um so Julia's parents are th- they're one of the people that are in that eligibility group, but they were actually able to book pretty easily, I think, through pharmacies on on the Monday. So the first day of eligibility became available. Um which I am I'm just so glad that um that they're gonna be able to get their second dose and <laughs> basically I think Once people start having like in the same way, we're basically something like three weeks or so, maybe a month behind the U.S. in terms of total number of doses. Obviously, we've been distributing them differently um, because basically everyone there who wanted it got one dose and the 21 days later, got a second one where we're basically saying less than 16 weeks, you get a second one. Um, I think it'll turn out that a lot of people will get their doses about 21 days apart, especially the younger you are. But honestly, yeah, I think I think this rollout has gone really smoothly since supply became since like um, distribution supply became available. And this isn't like a procurement thing. This is just this is just the nature of supply chains. So as they're getting set up, things are tentative. Things are like you're not necessarily delivering on time every time. But yeah, they've been doing it. Um, And so this means this basically means like. Right now, they're about a month ahead of schedule. This this change that was that's happening on Monday of of doses becoming available, second doses becoming available to people who are seventy plus, um, or people who other people who booked on or before April nineteenth is happening Monday. This was supposed to happen like the week of June twenty eighth. So we're very nearly a week or a month ahead of schedule, and that really makes me th- think that they're going to be able to do the next group, um, like the ones that were I think up until. It was May 19th or something. Um, I really think that they're going to be able to do it sooner. I think that like maybe next week we're going to be able to book a second dose. And I'm just incredibly excited to be able to do that. Incredibly excited to be able to get moving on, you know, things being normal again. And and we were talking, we were talking <laughs> three weeks ago about having a one dose summer and we were all really, really excited about it. And now we're honestly like, I'm honestly thinking about most like potentially half the summer being two dose. Um, in the US, pretty quickly after a, a sizable portion of people started getting second doses, um, the CDC came out with guidelines basically saying once you've got your second dose, you can pretty much do whatever you like, second dose plus two to three weeks lead time after. Um, you can basically do whatever you want. And as people, as that, as that happens in Canada and people start doing that, um i assume we're going to continue cuz ontario in along with all of this ontario has had a precipitous drop in the number of cases daily along with at the end of this week a slight increase um but nothing near where we were approaching before um i'm assuming i'm hoping that that drop that precipitous drop will will hold and will keep going down um but we'll have to see but i'm feeling really good about the possibility of being able to see um our friends and like hang out with people even in small groups like by by mid-july is that like that feels that feels extremely possible at this point um with the ease with which my like i said julia's parents were able to book a second dose on monday the day eligibility will change before it even changed um yeah that seems inherently possible now and like mid-july at the latest like i'm thinking like two weeks post vaccine would be about mid-july if not earlier. And, um, yeah, I basically could not be more excited. So I'm going to leave the vaccine, um, timelines discussion for now. And I want to talk a little bit about vaccine hesitancy and specifically why I trust the vaccine, why I trust the scientific process that developed this vaccine. Um, people in my, a couple of people in my sphere, um, have I? I found out that they're hesitant about getting the vaccine. I don't think it necessarily. This is necessarily they're they're intent on not getting it or dead set on not getting it. Um, they do actually have appointments, and so I'm not super worried about it. But I wanted to kind of address, um, just to everyone, what like what I think is what people who are hesitant about the vaccine, what point they're missing in the points that I've heard, um, about you know how they feel about it, and um. One of the things that that was quoted to me was this idea that if you get the vaccine, it creates a bunch of this viral spike protein in the, the RNA specifically creates a bunch of this viral spike protein in your body. Um, and that there is peer-reviewed research that shows this, that shows that um the spike protein from the coronavirus gets basically spread throughout your body. Um, and this this logical leap that um, predicts or theorizes that having this viral spike protein in your body is dangerous to your body. If this is what causes an immune reaction, um is this spike protein binding to ACE um the ACE2 like site on your cells and that this is dangerous, that that spike protein being in your body is somehow dangerous and potentially more dangerous than the virus um which I think has been sensationalized by right-wing media. If you go and um look up do research on um i don't even want to i don't even i'm not even going to mention this person's name this one person this one um researcher i guess in in canada in ontario um, has basically been talking uh, quite a bit of what seems like to me like hot nonsense based on what i just described that the viral spike protein on this coronavirus will make you sick if it's in your body um I'll just note that we know that this is not what makes you sick when you get COVID. It's not because you have this viral spike protein in your body. It's because you have the virus in your body and the virus is doing damage to your cells. Um, but I also just wanted to point out that if like, because the whole theory here is that, and again, it is a theory, there's no research to back it up, is that having a, that, that spike protein alone that your body has synthesized from the instructions, in the mRNA vaccine that that spike protein is dangerous to your cells and will cause damage to them, especially long term, and that we really don't know what the long-term effects are. But um, to that, I would say, we do actually know quite a bit about coronaviruses. Coronaviruses are not uncommon. Um, the Really the only issue with coronaviruses, like the only thing that it's caused up until, basically SARS and MERS and um, like this current COVID-19 um, virus. Is that they cause more serious symptoms? They cause like really rapid onset. They're really transmissible, all that kind of stuff. But we've like coronaviruses are endemic to the population. There are coronaviruses that just cause the common cold, um, or what we consider the common cold. And having having had that cold doesn't give you these lasting like decades later symptoms. Even though all coronaviruses have this spike protein, it might not be exactly the same, but it's very similar. Like that's the whole point. Is that um coronaviruses are a class of virus that that one coronavirus presumably originated all the coronaviruses they're not like they're not magically different and so this theory that the spike protein um is is causing damage to your cells even in absence of the virus itself just the spike protein is causing damage is just a very very weird um conspiracy theory and i don't really think it holds any water and you have to yeah, you basically have to think about this, not in isolation and, and not just, I find it's very important to be skeptical of people who are skeptical and their reasons why they're skeptical and what their actual evidence is to be skeptical. Um, I, I'm all for being like questioning news sources and making sure that you've checked their their um, sources, check their evidence, check what they have. But when somebody else does that, you also have to question what what is the evidence for being skeptical? And here I've investigated that evidence and found nothing. I found that I don't have any particular reason to be skeptical of the vaccine based on what this says here. Obviously, in terms of an mRNA vaccine given to the massive global population, we don't have long-term safety data. We can't. We've only been giving this vaccine out for a little over a year. But over that year, we haven't seen really any detrimental side effects, and especially when you compare it to the actual um, damage that and and death that covid has caused. And so I trust this vaccine because I trust the scientific process because I know how mRNA works. In the mRNA vaccines have been in development for decades. They've been theorized and have finally been able to be put to use on a global scale in this pandemic, but it's only because decades of research has been done. And so I trust that process and I trust that vaccine because I know that mRNA is literally just a set of instructions to build something like a protein. And that's all it's doing. It's basically th- the only other parts of the vaccine are this membrane or um, like my cell. I forget exactly how it what it is, but it's like a lipid layer that protects the mRNA when it's injected into you until it gets to a cell. Um, that's really all it is. is It's a recipe in a ziploc bag and being handed to a chef, being handed to your cells, which all they do is know how to read mRNA instructions and build proteins. And so it's like it's a very safe virus, even in comparison to or a very safe. Um, vaccine in comparison to all the other vaccines that we've had and honestly it feels like because basically the way that mrna vaccines work is that they give they they basically give these these um, instructions this recipe in a plastic bag to your cells and effectively once that mrna has has replicated and been used it deteriorates and ultimately gets broken down by your system and is no longer there you don't have this it's not like you have a recipe floating around in your system for decades um the recipe breaks apart and all you have is the, the the recipe makes the viral spike protein the viral spike protein goes and generates an immune response and is destroyed by your immune system and so you don't have the spike protein anymore after x number of days or weeks and you don't have the mRNA instructions anymore all you have is your immune response remembering. That the viral spike protein was a problem, and having your immune system remember how to destroy it, and so all of that combined, and the science that has gone into it, and like you know, I said decades of research onto the mRNA platform as a way to give um, vaccines or to create vaccines. I completely trust that system unless I'm shown evidence to the contrary, and so far I haven't been shown any compelling evidence to the contrary. Um, finally, the last thing I want to talk about this week is. Just um give a little brief update on the the position that I applied for last year. So nothing has happened yet, um which is which is not unexpected because the position only closed on Wednesday, the end of the day. And hr, I don't know if it's everywhere in government, but H r is notoriously like very methodical and procedural, and all of that makes it take like days or weeks to to do anything in terms of HR in terms of human human resources in the government. Um, but I did get some really great news that um i don't know if i mentioned this last week but i'm going to be co-leading the technology working group um at nsirc along with um another person who's going to be who's kind of joining as co-lead um with me so there's 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 one lead and then uh um this other person and i are basically the the technical co-lead so we have the technical skills and, and experience to be able to actually do like implement the solutions that we're talking about but we also found out that um A lot of the competition related tools that we have that had historically been under the purview of the there's this technical support team that we have um, at NSERC that we got um, confirmation that those technical tools are going to move from the purview of that technical support team, um, which has which is basically, um, yeah, not had time because they're also the budget team. So they haven't really had a lot of time to be able to take on the additional work of getting all these tools together and and preparing everything and all of that. And so um yeah, through no fault of their own, they have not had the time to do the work that was needed um last year. And so we had the technology working group ended up taking taking a lot of it on. And so this year we got confirmation that um all those tools and and procedures and things are going to be able to be handled by the tech working group. And we're we're going to take ownership of those tools. Um so we have we have effectively free reign to make the changes that we need to make. this year in order to have everything set up exactly the way that we want Um, and again obviously i'm hoping that i do get this position that the senior process management officer that i applied to um, because that would that would directly let me focus on that and basically not have to do my regular program work which is the delivery of of the research tools and instruments program and so and that would also allow me to you know have free reign to to make improvements and suggest improvements and that kind of thing for other programs And so all that being said, I'm extremely excited about this position. I'm extremely excited about the chance to make all these changes that we want to make. And um, I've been told to prepare to give a demonstration of my voting prototype, my voting system for the Discovery Grants program uh, on Monday. And so I'm really looking forward to that. Um, This won't be the first time I've demoed it, but it will be definitely the largest group that I've ever shown it off to. And so um, all that said, I'm extremely excited about this opportunity and yeah, really look forward to seeing what we can do to make this happen. So all that being said, I'm going to leave this episode for now. Thank you very much for listening. I'll talk to you next week when who knows, maybe I'll be eligible for a second dose of the vaccine based on how this timeline is accelerating. We're like, it's like Zemo's paradox. We're getting closer and closer to um, to everyone having their second dose. Thank you very much for listening. And I will talk to you next week. Bye.